Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, afternoon, and evening, depending on where you're listening to me. Uh, my name is uh, Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is March 5, 2011, Saturday or Shabbat for those who do keep the Sabbath. Um, starting this program, I, I've decided a we. I decided to have a 30-minute segment that will give you the opportunity to make any comments or ask any questions. I've had someone last week wanted to ask a question and then the, the prior week, and I was right in the middle of um, the Bible study, so I think it would be appropriate uh, since uh, I have an audience that uh, wants to participate and ask questions to have a 30-minute segment after the Bible study, which uh, usually takes about 90 minutes. So please wait until the end of the Bible study before you ask any questions. Now, if you would like me to create a Bible study, a personal Bible study addressing a desired topic, then please email me at, uh, or it can be something that I could uh, talk about here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, my email address is kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com, and just email me with your request. Uh, additionally, please let us know what your needs are so that we can pray with you to God about them. Uh, this can be biblical knowledge, uh, you're getting that every week here, but it can be personal uh, biblical knowledge based on your specific situation, uh, your career counseling, uh, especially now in this economy. Um, I don't think any of you really know my background too much, but uh, I was kicked out of the house at age 20, and um, I got an MBA in marketing now, so I'm 44 years old, and uh, I struggled, and I had probably over 50 jobs in my life. And I just got through listening to uh, CNN today. Uh, they have a real good program. What is it called? Uh, Your Money? Yeah, whatever. And it's a really good program, and it, it surprises me that they are really telling the truth about what's going on in the economy, uh, on this program anyway, on CNN. And uh, they're saying that people need to start thinking entrepreneurial. For those who don't know what that means, uh, you need to start thinking about doing your own thing, uh, having your own business, uh, because corporations can't be dependent anymore in regards to paying you money uh, consistently or paying you according to what you're worth. And also, he states a, a very um, specific fact that 95% of the population, uh, their wages have not increased significantly. But the rich, or the 5% or 1% of the population, their income has increased. And also, productivity uh, which is uh, what you get when you have employees, right? That's increased, 
but as far as the workers that produce the productivity, as far as them uh, increasing uh, along with the productivity, that has not happened. So the rich have has really taken advantage of the poor. And and that is, uh, let me see if I can find a scripture. Well, matter of fact, I know there's a scripture that does exist there. Let me just find it here real quick in my little uh, computerized concordance here. I should be able to find it here. I think it's in Proverbs. But that's the that's the problem here that we have summed up here. Let's see if I can find it here. Here we go. Proverbs twenty two verse seven. Proverbs twenty two verse seven states the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower or the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's really a summation of what's really going on today and really has been going on since uh, this uh, era of industrialization, which started back in the 1800s with the invention of the steamboat. And people, uh, instead of having their own land and and being farmers and and producing their own groceries, uh, that led to people starting to be dependent on grocery stores, having to move over into the industrialized cities to get jobs and so forth. And that's what began all this um, big gap between the rich and the poor that the Bible here prophesies here. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And that was the case back then, but it's much more the case today. And this reminds me of another prophecy uh, in Proverbs 30. Turn to Proverbs 30. See if I can find it here. Here we go. Proverbs 30, verse 14, in the King James Version, says, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the face of the earth or off the earth and the needy from men. And that's what a lot of these corporations are doing. They are not paying people what they're worth, and people are complaining looks like around the world now, uh, in significant countries like Egypt, uh, Libya, uh, the other North African countries, I think Ethiopia is starting to act up now. Um, there, there's uh, already countries in the Eurozone, uh, which Spain is a part of, and Spain has one of the highest unemployment rates uh, in Europe. Uh, a lot of people are complaining because of not being paid or threatening uh, their pensions, they call it austerity measures, where uh, they say, okay, well, what we're going to do is reduce your benefits and reduce your pay. And pension, a lot of people in this country have pensions that are government uh, pensions, uh, including the Social Security is kind of like the government's form of pensions. And right now they're talking about possibly lowering the entitlement programs, which Social Security is a part of. So that's something that Americans need to be aware of and you need to prepare for that you can you you know there's no such thing today as a job that you can depend on it used to be just like they were saying on the program today you you can just have a high school diploma you can go get you a job as working in a a plant or factory and and you can make fifty thousand dollars just like your father he he made a lot of money and and uh he only he didn't have a high school diploma those kind of jobs are over with now You, you have to get that was the American dream, and what a dream that was, right? But unfortunately, because of competition, because of greed, 
that type of situation no longer exists. So uh, experts are advising that everyone, particularly minorities, okay, uh, understand that you have to be entrepreneur now. You have to, to be able to survive here. You're going to have to develop skills, and, then, and, they, and they highlighted three areas, technology, medicine, environmentalism, okay? You have to focus on those three areas and, and, be the, and pick which area that you feel comfortable with. Of course, technology should be in all, all those areas of medicine and environmentalism, but uh, you, you need to, to focus on high-tech things and develop new skills. Just getting a college degree, and believe me, I know, just doesn't do it. You also have to develop sales and marketing skills, be able to, to market yourself and be able to, 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 to have good communication skills so that employers will be impressed. But if you want to, you don't really have to be an employer. You can self-employ yourself. You know, I can show you how to do that. I'm self-employed. Okay, so if anyone is interested in that, please email me, and I'll be glad for free to show you how to do that. Um, so the, the title of this Bible study is The Perilous Times of the 21st Century. And let's look at Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible for clarity's sake. It says, uh, remember this, there are some terrible times coming in the last days. And in the King James it says perilous times. And that's what perilous means, terrible. Uh, verse 2 of the easy-to-read version of the Bible. People will love only themselves and money. Now, isn't that something? That's the first sign of the end times. So if you if you are thinking that we're not in the end times, yes, we are, because we right now uh, just got through telling you about corporations and how selfish they are, most of them. There are a few good ones, okay, but the majority of them are not paying, and you know what I'm talking about. Anyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, most people aren't really happy with their jobs, and they're not happy with the income that they're making on their jobs. And that's the middle class. The middle class is not happy. Uh, you have... Uh, government workers right now in Wisconsin, um, they're picketing and, and they're um, respectfully uh, protesting uh, the government. Uh, they're going to stop their, the unions, and, and eventually I think they're talking about uh, reducing their pay and then even firing uh, people starting in April if uh, these uh, Democrats who, of course, I can understand why they're opposed to it, uh, don't want to participate in the overall voting process. So, and this is not only going on in Wisconsin, it's going on in Ohio, that's where I live at, and uh, other states. Uh, so th this is a major problem. I knew this was going to start to filter over into this country eventually, what was going on in Europe, and, and, and uh, of course, currently right now going on in the Middle East. It's all about money, and the Bible has prophesied this, and I'm going to show you this, or God prophesied through his prophets uh, that this would occur. So it's not any surprise to me or anyone that understands the scriptures. All right, so they will be proud and boast about themselves. And boy, do we boast about how great America is. God bless America, and it's really God curse America because that's, that's what he's doing. Um, when uh, I just got a recent email from, I think it was Focus of the Family, one of these organizations, and they were saying that uh, 
the fact that the president now is not going to recognize the Defense of Marriage Act, D-O-M-A, that's the acronym for it, um, that's going to cause tremendous problems in reference to, to how we teach our children. Uh, our children are going to be forced in the public school systems to say, hey, wait, wait a minute, uh, marriage is, uh, it can be also two males and two females, even though we all consist of one sperm and one female egg. The sperm comes from a male, the egg comes from a female, so no human being can naturally, let me underscore that, naturally be created um, without a sperm or an egg. Of course, they're trying to right now <laughs> create a human being from two sperms and two eggs. But whether they succeed in that or not, the purpose of the matter is originally, naturally, it's not done that way. Okay, so people can justify gayness all they want. Um, it's, it's in the Bible, folks. God does not like it. He doesn't hate Jews just like this West Barrel I really did a real good study on them, and you know, I, I really feel that they they feel that they're doing right, but they're taking it a bit too far. God does not hate the world. If He hated the world, folks, none of us would be alive right now. Okay, uh, in John three verse sixteen, one of the most popular scriptures ever quoted. Let's let's turn there to understand what I'm talking about here. John three, verse sixteen. Now, I hope somebody from Westboro is listening to this because. You do need to be corrected. You, you're going around going around correcting people at their funerals. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. Do you see God condemning somebody at their funerals? Of course not. Okay? So why should you do it? Now, I understand. You, you're right. Being gay is wrong, but you're not going to ever reach those people acting like that, acting like you're so holy thou and, 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 and you, you do everything right, right? And, you know, they, they, uh, they're going to go to hell, right? I mean, <laughs> what, what if they were just, what if they didn't know any better? What if their parents taught them to be gay? What if their parents were gay? You know, and, and that's all they knew. They, they would live being gay. You think God is going to throw them in hellfire because of that? I mean, you got, you got to uh, use common sense. Anyway, um, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. And they say that God hates the world. Well, I, I was looking to find a scripture there. I don't see it where it says God hates the world. But I see this scripture. It says... Uh, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that that's an important thing to understand there, that God sent his son into the world so that he could save the world, okay, and... Uh, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then most people don't even read past verse 16, but I am. Okay, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, the light, of course, symbolizing Jesus, or Yeshua, and that's his Hebrew name. And people love the darkness, rather than the, the light because their works were evil, okay? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, that not his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So right now, I mean, and you read this, you understand that belief has something to do with what you do. You just can't say, I believe in Jesus, and, and that's that. That's the end of it. You know, I mean, That's what, unfortunately, traditional Christianity influences uh, uh, people to do. It's just to believe in Jesus, but yet don't 
do what he say and don't keep the commandments, which he never taught for you not to keep the commandments. And that's another, by matter of fact, the past two Bible studies uh, was covering that topic. And then, of course, the um, the episode that that I have or the broadcast that I have on um, what is the what is it what is the law of Moses? I, I forgot myself what the title of it was here, but uh, where is it? right here on the front page here it says yeah is the law of moses nailed to the cross I, I i encourage you to to listen to that to realize that the law of moses is not nailed to the cross it's definitely not nailed to the cross and you have to understand what the law of moses is the law of moses is simply the law of god the reason why it's called the law of moses and i covered this in the last, in the last program is because god gave the law to moses that's why and it's not just a ceremonial law the law of moses is everything that god told moses including the Ten Commandments, uh, and and that's what the Law of Moses is. Okay, um, so let's get through reading Second Timothy chapter 3. All right, so they will be proud and boast about themselves. They will abuse others with insults. Uh, we get this in politics all the time, don't we, in this country? They will not obey their parents. Oh, my goodness, uh, that's another Bible study in itself. Uh, they will be ungrateful and against all that is pleasing to God. Verse 3, they will have no love for others and will refuse to forgive anyone. I see this a lot in our country. You say, well, I can't forgive this person. I can't forgive that person. Well, God says if you don't learn how to forgive somebody, he's not going to forgive you. Okay, so you better learn how to forgive people. They will talk about others to hurt them and will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. People will turn against their friends. They will do foolish things without thinking and will be so proud of themselves. Instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. And they will go on pretending to be devoted to God, but they will refuse to let that devotion change the way they live. Stay away from these people. So that is the characteristics of this country and people around the world in the 21st century. So uh, let's review what Christ said what happened here because Matthew chapter 24 to me is really a helpful tool to understand future history or prophecy and too many people they just really make this more complicated than what it should be okay and and, and if you just believe what Yeshua stated what Jesus stated you're going to make this a lot simpler for yourself uh, Matthew chapter 24 verse 1 Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 states this. Jesus left the temple. Let me see how much time I have left. Here. One hour and nine minutes, okay? Uh, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So right at this particular point in time, in the first century, uh, they were at the temple, okay? Or they were near the temple. And then verse 2, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not... Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he prophesied the destruction of the temple, which occurred in A.D. 70. And verse 3, and as he sat on the mount, they were at the Mount of Olives. Okay, the Mount of Olives is right across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, the things of as far as the temple being destroyed, and what will be the sign of your coming? and of the close of the age, uh, the, the age of uh, man's trying to rule himself, the age we're living in today. 
Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. So first of all, he said, Please, pay attention to deception and trickery, okay, leading you astray. And that's prominent not only in religion, but in all fabrics of society. There's deception in education. There's, there, there's deception everywhere. In medicine, science, is everywhere. <laughs> and you have to to learn not to believe someone just because they say it. You have to prove, to prove what I'm saying, prove what anyone is saying, because there's so much trickery and deception in, in the world today. And I didn't really realize this until later on in my life, that it was so so much trickery and deception. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ or the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. And so he said many, not a few. There's a, there's a lot of false church organizations in this country and around the world. That's what he's telling you. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, as we are right now, and we've already had several wars in the course of of mankind's history. Uh, In in the 20th century, we had two major wars, World War I, World War II. After that, you had the Korean War. After the Korean War, you had the Vietnam War. After that, you had the Gulf War. It started in, what, 1991, I think? 1991 or 1990 uh, with, uh, what's his name, Saddam Hussein. And then you had the second Gulf War, which I think uh, began 2003. So those are the major wars that, that we've had here. Uh, that's a total of, let me see, one, World War One, two, and you had the Korean War, three, Vietnam War is four, and then the, the two Gulf Wars, five, six. So that's interesting. You have six major wars. And so we're about to hit the seventh ones, the seventh major war um, between the twentieth, the 20th and the twenty-first century. Well, we heard a noise. I don't know what that was. But anyway, <laughs> the twentieth and twenty-first century. So um, yeah, the, the World War One is the first war. World War Two is the second one. You had the Korean War. That's the third one. Uh, Viet- Vietnam War, fourth one, and then you you have the two Gulf Wars at five and six. So we're waiting for that seventh war that seven major war that's about to occur here probably in the next few months, definitely in the next few years, uh, the, the way things are going right now. So he said we will hear these type of wars. And he says that, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end, he's talking about the end of society, the end of the way we're living, the, the way we're living without God in our lives, is not yet for nation will rise, what I mean by not having God in our lives, collectively as a human race, most are not keeping the commandments of God. That's what I mean. Verse 7, for a nation, all the commandments of God, for a nation will rise against nation. This should be translated, uh, the original Greek, family shall rise against family or tribe, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. So let's look at verse 7. He's saying there's going to be family squabbles and problems, and there are. People can't get along with each other. Uh, there's divorces, uh, which God says he hates in Malachi. We're going to take a look at Malachi today, hopefully. And and uh, there's family factions. All I hear these weird these stories about daughters killing parents, sons killing parents, parents killing kids, all kinds of... I just heard a recent story of a, a young man, uh, I think he was 17, 18 years old, he killed his baby, stabbed the baby to death. I mean, we, we hear about these terrible things, and... He said that that would happen, and it is happening. Um, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Famine is simply not having any food, folks. 
not being able to um, make a living, not be able to feed it. That's the reason why we work. One of the major reasons why we work is to give to those in need, but also to feed ourselves as well so that we can give to those in need. So food is related to work and work is related to food. And famine is saying here that there's going to be great economic problems. Those problems are occurring as I'm speaking, not only in other countries, but in this country, in the United States. They are lying to us all when they say that we are recovering. There's only a recovery for the rich, the rich that trade at the stock market. There's no recovery for the middle class. That is the truth. Uh for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And if you, uh, you've got to have your head in the sand if you don't realize the tremendous earthquakes we've had in the past uh, five, actually four or five years. We've, we've had historic earthquakes. And he said those earthquakes would be in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Uh, he's he's comparing this uh, using the analogy of a woman being pregnant. Uh, toward the, the birth pangs of the, of the uh, death of this world. Verse 8, uh, Then they will deliver you up to, to, to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated all nations by all nations for my name's sake. So, you know, God's true believers are, aren't well liked. Okay, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So unfortunately there's going to be betrayal among God's people. And he said, uh, not just for God's people, but People in general, people will betray one another, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, or Torahlessness, or not keeping the commandments of God, the love of many will grow cold. I sense that already. I, I, the so-called friends I had aren't really my friends, you know. <laughs> and it can even happen among your own family. If your own family is not obeying God, then it's going to be cold among your own family members. It says the love of many, not the few, the many will grow cold. So what he's predicting here is because of lack of obeying God, that people's love toward one another, the majority, will grow cold. And and, and that's, what, that's what's occurring. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Then he says in the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. And I need to comment on this one because this has been so misinterpreted, this scripture. There's no way on earth that a man or a group or an organization can um, prophesy, or not, not prophesy, but preach the gospel to the entire planet. There's almost 7 billion people, that's with a B, in, on this planet. Internet reach, uh, if you, I had this one minute, I ain't going to give his name or whatever, it's not important, but he claims that he's preaching around the world over the Internet. Well, he's reaching the world over the Internet. I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but Internet reach is only 1.9 billion people. Okay, so uh, you're not going to reach the entire planet over the internet because there's only 1.9 billion with a B users. We have to use our brains, folks, and think. Okay, when people say stuff, you got to really analyze what they're saying. Um, me and my wife used to be a part of this organization where they were saying they were preaching the gospel around the world. Well, if you understand marketing, their reach was not seven billion people or six billion people. So how can they say they're reaching the entire world? And even if the, the reach was, the reach means the capability of reaching um, a certain amount of uh, uh, people to look at your program. They have a little television program. Um, how do you know those people are going to look at it, all those people are going to look at it? Okay, so you got to use your common sense, all right? And he says here that 
And this happened in the first century, but there was only 200 million people in the first century. There's 6 billion people or close to 7 billion people in this world right now. So how in the world, unless God miraculously does it, can a man or an organization or a group of organizations preach the gospel around the world? Now, another thing you have to understand, too, the message, the, the, the typical gospel that's being preached around the world isn't the true gospel. It's, it's a gospel about Jesus, a Jesus that did away with his father's commandments and said, hey, I got some new commandments. Just love somebody. That's it. That's all you need to do. Just love, love, love. That's it. That's the gospel that's being preached. And, you know, Christ uh, died for our sins, and uh, all we got to do is picture blood sprinkled on us. We have grace, and that's it. That's the gospel that's being preached around. That is not the true gospel. The true gospel is a Jewish-based gospel, and is outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about God showing us how to keep his laws. And by us, by him showing us how to keep his laws through the Holy Spirit, we will be able to obtain eternal life, not because we're keeping the commandments, but because we prove to God that we believe him by keeping the commandments, because we do have to keep the commandments to prove to God that, I just read you John 3, verse 16 to 20, 22, all right, and it shows that belief has works involved in it. All right, so the gospel is the good news that if you behave yourself, I'm just paraphrasing it, if you behave yourself and obey God, then you will be rewarded with eternal life, which was taken away from us uh, through the devil. The devil, through uh, Eve and Adam, caused death. He originated death. He is death. God is life. He is death. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Romans chapter 5 explains that because of the sin of man, there is death. Death should not exist. It's, it's not something that God considers normal. Of course, it's normal to us because we see it so many times. Right now, as I'm speaking, 25 or 20, 25,000, 26,000 children will be dead because of lack of food. But that's not something that God never intended. But anyway, if you read the beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it explains the plan of God. It summarizes everything. It shows us what we will somewhat look like when we're resurrected for those who are behaving themselves and keep God's commandments. That's the good news of the gospel, that there's hope for us. There's there's um, tremendous hope for all of mankind. If mankind learns that we must obey him, obey God and his commandments, and we will be rewarded with tremendous blessing, but the ultimate blessing is to be able to live forever and not be able to die. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 states that the, one of the goals of the Messiah, of Jesus, is to destroy death. And he will destroy death. So that's the message of the gospel, folks. Um, it has something to do with obedience. It's not that Christ came and did everything for us and we can just lay around and wait for him to come back and be raptured somewhere. That's that's not the gospel. And unfortunately, that's the gospel, that that's the false gospel that's being preached around the world in most cases. And then, beside that, there's over 2 billion people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. They can't even read and write. They're illiterate. They, they haven't even heard of Jesus or, or, or the Bible. So we know just on, on, on those facts alone that the gospel has not been preached around the world in the 21st century. Now, who is going to do that? Let's turn to Romans, uh, not Romans, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. 
Who's ultimately going to do that? Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead in an eternal gospel. He's going to preach the gospel. The eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. So it's going to be done by an angel. Prior to the angel doing it, uh, in Revelation chapter 11, hopefully we'll have enough time to go there today, but uh, it also will be preached by the two witnesses. All right? But the angels ultimately are going to do the job of, of preaching the gospel around the world. Um, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, and how do you fear God? Proverbs 8, verse 13, by hating evil. And give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine, the passion of her sexual immorality. And in this, this is talking about not literal sex, but spiritual sex, um, having false doctrines and, and not obeying God. That's what that's talking about. Verse 9, And another angel, third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, pour it full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment, not them, but the smoke of their torment, goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and the image, whoever receives the mark of, the, of his name. They're not going to have any rest because they're not going to exist, and that's not a Bible study in itself. But And then after this, this chapter talks about the seven last plagues of the vials. And, and before the vials, remember in, in the book of Revelation, you have uh, the judgments of God, you have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven plagues. And in, in, in uh, chapter 14, there's a warning from the angels for people to repent before these last plagues will come upon the earth. And that, that'll be another Bible study in itself. Anyway. All right. Where are we at? Matthew chapter 24. So right, right. And then let's turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And let's go over these seals that he revealed in Matthew chapter 24. It says, uh, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and Lamb is another symbolic name for the Messiah. One of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud with a voice like thunder, come. And I look, and behold, a white horse, and this rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and the conqueror. And, and Jesus stated that this uh, particular seal represents deception. Uh, verse 3, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And he came out, and out came another horse, bright red. His rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so it's pretty simple to figure out what this is, war. Okay? so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And, and in verse 5, And when he opened a third seal, I, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked and beheld a black horse. And his rider had a pair of scales in his hand, symbolizing socioeconomics, economics. And I heard 
was seen to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine, indicating that oil and wine would be valuable in the 21st century. All right, so let's analyze this scripture a little more here. In my commentary here in the, uh, keep on forgetting this version, the English Standard Version of the Bible, ESV, uh, it says the rider on the black horse carries scales for measuring grains and their prices. A heavenly voice comments on the scale's significance, citing inflated grain prices, eight to ten times normal. That's what's going on right now, folks. The price of grain, the price of commodities are going up. It's inflation. God is prophesying inflation. Siege and disruption of commercial routes will produce scarcity, driving prices up. That's what's going on right now, folks. Local crops such as oil and wine are unaffected, however, showing that the scarcity is limited, not comprehensive. Some think the command not to harm the oil and wine may have a social significance since the rich were the primary consumers of oil and wine. It, also, it could also be a prediction of events like that of A.D. 92 when the emperor Numidian, during a grain shortage, ordered the vineyards cut down to make room for more wheat fields. This caused such a backlash that he rescinded the order, in other words, extreme measures would have to be taken due to progressive pouring out of judgment. All right, so anyway, the point of the matter is this scripture definitely represents economic problems. And let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49. Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. And this, if you don't know what I'm doing, folks, um, I have to always say this. Uh, our country, Canada, uh, the countries in northwestern Europe, particularly Britain, Sweden, all those countries, Switzerland, um, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, Australia, are all a part of what the Bible calls Israel. Uh, for proof of that, go to www.britam.org. Another proof of that, if you study uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, when he calls us Jezreel, <laughs> that we wax fat. You know, we're fat folks, and we're rich. We're rich and fat. The richest and fattest people on the earth, in most cases, are part of Israel. That's the simplest way to understand it. But that's a Bible study in itself. And we are definitely uh, the richest and fattest people on the earth here in this country. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. So these curses and blessings are referring to us and anyone else that that follows uh, Yeshua, who is the, the king of Israel. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, starting in what verse? Verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you. From far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil to increase of your herds or the young of the flock until they have caused you to perish. So this is saying that we will suffer economically. And we are suffering economically right now. A foreign nation, that a language that we don't understand, China. China has just totally just <laughs> invested in our country. The 
if you look at the uh, the income levels of individual types of human races here in this country, Asians make more than Caucasians. So uh, Asians are doing quite well in this country and around the world. And they're saying that China will eventually overcome America economically. So this, this prophecy definitely is uh, being fulfilled, folks. And uh, we, we need to, to understand that and we need to understand why this is occurring. And then in verse uh, 43, this sojourner, the sojourner, okay, who is among you, the sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. And I guess yeah, I gave you an example of the Chinese. And you shall come down lower and lower. And we are. We, we're going lower and lower and lower right now. Verse 40, he shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. And that's what's happening right now. The... Um, the, uh, in verse 44 here, uh, verse 42, no, verse 43 to 44, Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, China is really financing our debt right now. So this prophecy is, has really already been fulfilled, and it, it will continue to be fulfilled. And we have to understand that God wants us to obey him, and if we don't obey him, he's going to do what he says he's going to do here. So... Um, it's very important that we understand that. And I'm looking for other prophecies here that are occurring. Um, you can just study this for yourself here um, because it's just tremendous uh, what God says is going to happen, and then you see it, and it only confirms that there is a God that knows the end from the beginning. Okay, so where are we now? Back in Revelation chapter 6. Okay, Revelation chapter 6. All right, so we understand, and we're actually, right now, see all these horses, these four horses of the apocalypse have, have really um, rode on an ugly course for, uh, for ever since Christ talked about it or his uh, his servant John talked about it, but... What this is talking about is that these horses will get to a point of riding at a uh, accelerated pace, and right now we're in the beginning stages of that third seal, riding uh, in, at an accelerated pace right now. And then this is going to lead, of course, to the, the fourth seal. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, "Come!" And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. That's quite a bit. That's about 25% of the earth. To kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So that's quite a few people dead on the earth um, that's being prophesied here. Verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them which had been slain for the word of God. Well, I'll just stop there because I just wanted to focus on, on that right now. That's where we're at right now. We're getting to a point where there's going to be another war, and there's going to be a lot of people dying. There's so many, there's so much stuff in, in the book of Revelation. It takes several Bible studies to go over it. But right now, for lack of time, I need to just cut it out right there. And let's go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2.
Malachi chapter 2, verse uh, 17. And this is where we're at here prophetically here. Um, remember that Obama is the leader of the free world. He's the, he's the leader of the world, basically, the most powerful country in the world. And Obama, last week, made a major boo-boo as far as God is concerned <laughs> and anyone that obeys him. Uh, he stated that uh, courts will no longer recognize the Defense of Marriage Act. In other words, um, he has commanded the court systems in the United States not to recognize that marriage is only between a man and a woman. And so I was just reading something from uh, the Republicans. Well, actually, let me read this here. Uh, this is from Focus of the Family. It says, How DOMA could impact you and your family. Uh, this is a email that I got from him. He says, Dear friend, last week I shared with you that the U.S. Department of Justice will no longer be defending the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA is the acronym, and the lawsuits currently pending against it. While Congress is stepping in to defend DOMA, DOMA legally, I wanted to take the time to share with you one of the ways you and your family could be harmed if marriage is redefined in our country. Shortly after same-sex marriage was forced on Massachusetts by that state's highest court, a few parents, a few parents realized their children were being taught same-sex unions were normal, natural, and the moral equivalent of marriage between a man and a woman. And, and let me uh, put in there, this is my own words, that's a lie. Anyway, these parents attempted to opt their children out of these public school lessons but were ultimately unsuccessful in a court of law. Two federal courts in Massachusetts, including the appeals court just below the U.S. Supreme Court, determined that because same-sex marriage was legally recognized in Massachusetts, parents no longer had the right to determine whether or what their children would be taught about those relationships or these relationships, which is ridiculous, but that's what's going on. Social issues in the classroom. Now back to DOMA, which defines marriage and all federal laws as a union of a man and a woman, and it only supports what the Bible states, and that's what I added, and protects the ability of states to not recognize same-sex marriages from other states as under legal challenge. Given what happened in Massachusetts, it is imperative that DOMA be defended well. Already, an increasing number of public schools are prompting controversial and confusing sexual topics to kids. Homosexual activists like groups like GLSEN, that's the acronym for the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, sponsor events that discuss homosexuality in thousands of public schools and colleges across the nation. This can often create a pressure cooker situation for Christian teens. But the good news is when spiritual darkness increases, the light of the gospel and God's love shines even brighter. Well, that's the intent, but and that will happen, but unfortunately we're going to go through a lot of suffering before that does. But anyway, the reason why I quoted that is to, to help you to understand our leadership doesn't know what's right and what's wrong. They don't even understand that marriage is between a male and a female. I mean, there's something wrong. There's something not screwed up there tight and fully, okay? And God prophesied about this, uh, and he's weary of this. In Malachi chapter 2, verse uh, 17, says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, Where is the God of justice? And many people challenge God and says. Just like this, uh, the mayor of San Francisco has stated, well, you know, uh, San Francisco's still around. It hasn't been destroyed yet. He said something to the effect that, hey, nothing bad has happened. 
tremendously has happened because they're lobbying for gay marriage uh, in, in San Francisco and California. And so that's kind of like saying, where is the God of justice? Well, God states this to anyone that has that type of attitude. Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, of course, this was John the Baptist the first time, but as I read this, you're going to see it's talking about his second coming as well, the, uh, the Messiah's second coming. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, and that's the Messiah, and whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Now, of course, in the, in the first century, he wasn't like that. And yes, I'm going to lead to that. I'm going to talk about the temple being built. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and it will purify the sons of Levi and redefine them like gold and silver. Now, some of them were, were purified. Many of them were, actually, back in the first century. But this is a dual prophecy. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to, to the Lord. Now, what happened in the first century, the temple was destroyed. So how can they bring offerings to the Lord? So obviously this, this is a future prophecy. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. So obviously this is talking about the, after, after the destruction of the temple. And then verse 5. This is the scripture I want us to, to focus on here. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. That's the problem that we're having around the world right now. And God hates that stuff. And that's one of the major reasons why he's going to come back. The widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So, God doesn't want us throwing away the stranger. He doesn't want us uh, uh, forsaking the minority person. And that's what's going on around the world right now. And that's why God is, is uh, if we turn to Psalms chapter 11, Psalm chapter 11. Let's see. Psalm chapter 12. Yeah, Psalm chapter 12, verse 5. Psalm chapter 12, verse 5. Psalm 12, verse 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. And that's what's going on. That's what, This is the prophecy. That's what's going on right now. I will now rise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he belongs or longs. God is just as concerned about Jewish poor as he is Egyptian poor or anyone else's being poor. He doesn't like that. That's not a condition that he desires for anyone to be in. And he's going to do something about it. And he is doing something about it. Uh, now, let's look at this situation that's going on in the Middle East, all right? Because I don't have too much time. I have to just get to the point here. There's a lot of scriptures I have to quote. And hopefully I can get them all quoted today. I have 36 minutes left. So let's take a look. Let me give you a short synopsis, a real short one, of what Daniel's talking about here. Because many people had a little different theories about what they think Daniel is. and what you, Basically, to understand the prophecies of the Bible, 
you have to look at it geographically first, okay? And you have to look at where were they at, what areas that they're talking about. And if you can understand that, then it will be quite simple for you to understand the prophecies. Uh, Daniel 11, starting at verse 40 to 45. Daniel chapter 11 is uh, the whole focus of Daniel chapter 11. Let's turn there. Daniel chapter 11. Chapter 11 talks about the uh, tension or the uh, the war that was occurring between the the Seleucid Empire and also, which was the king of the south, and the uh, Ptolemaic Ptolemaic Empire, P T O L E M I C, Ptolemaic Empire, which was the king of the south. Now. The king of the north empire, which was the uh, Seleucid Empire. Uh, I'm just going to focus on Antiochus Epiphanes because uh, he's probably the most famous uh, king of the north. Now, keep in mind it says king of the north. So you have to differentiate the king from the territory. So it's talking about the king of the north and the king of the south. I don't know who the king of the south is. You have these self-proposed prophets that claim that they do. I don't know who's ruling over the southern part. Of, of this uh, faction here. Neither do I know who specifically is the king of the north. But I do know what, what the northern region is and what the southern region is, and I'll prove that to you here in a minute. All right, so the area of the king of the north, um, that area consists today of Syria, Iraq, and Iran. All right, and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, back during the close of the, um, before the beginning of the first century, uh, ruled over that area. Uh, Rome conquered this territory in 63 B.C. And if I, I've explained in many programs that uh, the Roman Empire, many people don't know this, and I just discovered this myself, but Britain was a part of the Roman Empire. Okay, And you can, matter of fact, see artifacts and, and structures of buildings, uh, Roman buildings in Britain. So Britain absorbed that Roman influence. Uh, remember that from Rome came the Roman Senate. What do we have today? The United States Senate, right? Uh, a lot, of, and then our buildings are built like Roman architecture, right? So we have absorbed the Roman attitude, and and they were really into pornography, uh, well, not pornography, but sex and homosexuality. Um, so, and it doesn't surprise me that we're into that today in this country. So anyway, we've absorbed a lot of things from the Roman Empire. What I'm trying to say is that we are a part of the Roman Empire, okay? So typically uh, NATO, the North Atlantic, uh, I think, treaty uh, organization, or whatever they call themselves, is, is a union of European nations, and I think the United States is a part of it and also Canada. Okay, so that today is the modern version of the Seleucid Empire, okay? Now, we don't know who the king of that is right now. I guess Obama is the king, okay? But we <clears throat> we don't know who is going to be the king in the future. <coughs> and many people 
are immediately saying, well, Obama's the anti-Messiah. I don't know who the anti-Messiah is, and I'm not going to tell you. I have a, I have a, a pretty good hunch of who it may be. But until this person verifies it, I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it because I, I, I want to tell you exactly who it is. But I, I do have a suspicion, and I do have documentation that's leading me to a specific individual that could be the anti-Messiah. But anyway, uh, Rome conquered this territory in 63 B.C. In the 21st century, this area consists of Syria, Iraq, and Iran, which is pretty interesting because those three areas, are, there's all kinds of problems in those areas today, right? But there's a king over that area, and we know that uh, in Iraq, the United States is in Iraq. We know they have interests there. Uh, the United States have dealt with Iran and they've dealt with Syria before. And Europe deals with uh, those countries as well. So there is uh, associations between those countries and the countries in NATO. Now, the king of the south, the Ptolemaic kingdom, consists primarily of Egypt and the countries around Egypt. Now, Rome conquered that area in 30 B.C. And in the 21st century, this area consists of Egypt, Libya, and the countries that surround them. Now, interestingly, uh, currently the people who live in these countries are revolting because of being oppressed. And I think I proved to you in the Bible that we're living in the uh, an era of oppression, great oppression right now. Okay, As the Bible prophesied, he said it would be famine. Famine means you can't support your family. You don't have enough food to feed yourself. Also, wars cause famine. And, and getting you know, wars also is not just fighting each other with bombs and, and missiles. It's also not getting along, having arguments and, and having factions, and that's what's going on right now. Now, I, I read to you a prophecy, and I'm going to read this to you again. Um, God uh, led me to this. Isaiah chapter 19. It kind of explains what's going on in Egypt today. And we're going to take a look, take a look at Ezekiel, too, because I found another scripture that talks about this. Isaiah chapter 19. It says, An oracle concerning Egypt by the great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19, starting in verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. Now, what's going on? Uh, what did go on, uh, that's been going on. I mean, Egyptians stirring against Egyptians. What a accurate prophecy. And Isaiah talked about this thousands of years ago. And they will fight each other against each other. They will fight, and they will fight each against another, each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire their idols and sorcerers and the mediums and, and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians to the hand of a hard master. And the fierce king will rule over them. Now, let me read this article here, some highlights of it anyway. Um, this article is by Rhonda Spivak. Uh, it, it, the date of it is uh, February 14, 2011. It says, Head of e Egypt Human Rights Group says he fears post-Mubarak Muslim Brotherhood takeover. And it states here, I just highlighted the key points of this article. The Muslim Brotherhood is very wealthy. They own supermarkets in Egypt, and they get funds from countries such as Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is pretty interesting, isn't it? 
He believes that if elections are held in Egypt in the near future, the Muslim Brotherhood will likely come to power. And he stated here that, uh, let me see, Shafei, who founded a One World International El Shafei uh, Ministries in 2004, cautioned that the United States should not support Mohammed El Baradi's attempt to become a leader to replace Mubarak as the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt will ride to power on his coattails. He says, I am concerned that under the current circumstances, Mubarak's abrupt departure will create a political vacuum which will be filled by Islamic extremists. The West appears to be embracing Mohammed El Baradi, the former head of the UN Nuclear Inspection Agency, as a replacement for Mubarak. This is a serious concern as El um, Baradi, in addition to betraying heavy anti-Israel sentiment uh, through his actions at the UN agency, so he's uh, anti-Semitic or anti, he has anti-Israel sentiments or feelings is communicating with the Muslim Brotherhood, which has up to now been a banned Islamic extremist movement in order to actively involve the Brotherhood in the future political landscape of Egypt. Shafi noted that El Baradi has said he intends to include the Muslim Brotherhood, which he has referred to as an integral integral, rather, an integral part of Egyptian society. Many Western news outlets have adopted the claim that the Muslim Brotherhood is a conservative, nonviolent movement, but Shafi countered, Nothing could be further from the truth. While it is officially, while it officially renounces violence, the Muslim Brotherhood is the ideological parent of terrorist movements such as Hamas and Al Qaeda. Members and supporters of the Muslim Brotherhood are behind daily forced conversion attempts, violent attacks, and torture against Egyptian Christians. The Brotherhood cooperates with Hamas and Gaza, and its leaders are determined to launch war against Israel. So that's that's not good news, folks. This is a very serious matter, and we cannot under any circumstances allow the Muslim Brotherhood to increase its influence in Egypt. To do so would be to condemn the Egyptian people from Christians and other religious minorities to moderate and uh, moderate to oh, sorry and other religious minorities to moderate and secular Muslims to a regime of oppression and religious tyranny uh, that will make Mubarak's repressive regime seem like a beacon of freedom or, or religious tyranny, I should say. All right, so he says, Shafi believes that the Muslim Brotherhood rose to power. They will say at the outset that they respect the treaty with Israel, but then shortly afterwards they will say they want to reform the agreement. And he said he emphasized that the people of Egypt have been living in darkness under a dictatorship for 30 years. You can't expect them to adjust to the light right away. 30% of the population is illiterate. They can't read and write their own name. You can't give them absolute democracy at the beginning or in the beginning, because it's easy for them to turn to extremism. The United States and other countries should support Omar Salumian. We need slow change. So anyway, it tells you what's going on here is not good news, and that's accurate according to what the Bible says. Verse 4, And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord of hosts. This fierce king, it could be alluding to eventually the anti-Messiah, but right now the, the, the genesis of it is beginning where um, whoever's going to be ruling over them is going to want to attack Israel. That's what's going on right now. It says, And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up, and reeds and rushes will, will rot away. So anyway, it talks about uh, the fact that they're going to suffer economically, which they are already. But what the interesting thing about this prophecy, you know it's an end-time prophecy, because it talks about in verse 9 and 16, in verse 16 uh, of Isaiah chapter 19, 
the, the troubles in Egypt leads to the Messiah coming back. And that's what I love about this prophecy. In verse 16, in that day the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. Now, that's not happening yet. <laughs> verse 17, in the land of Judah, and we know what the land of Judah is, will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has proposed against them. Now, we know that ain't happening now. What's happening is that they're starting to hate Israel again, and they're going to break that treaty with Israel in the future. Verse 18, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan, and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. That's the Messiah. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering for those who teach that there won't be any sacrifices and offerings. And, you know, Egyptian also represents the entire planet, basically, in some cases, so that the whole world would be giving sacrifices and offerings to God. If Egypt's going to do it, of course everyone else will. All right, and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. So for the Egyptians, God will be with you if you just obey him. Be with anybody. Verse 23. And that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, when the Bible talks about Isaiah in this context, is talking about the area right now that's habit, that uh, that consists of Iraq and Iran. That's the area of Isaiah today. Okay? And he's stating here uh, that there will be a highway from Egypt to Iraq and Iran. Okay? In that area. And Isaiah will come into Egypt and Egypt into Isaiah, and the Egyptians will worship with the Isaerians. So the Arabs are going to worship together. In verse 24, in that day Israel will be the third with the um, Arabs. A blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts have blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. And Isaiah, or Iraq and Iran, that area geographically, the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. So this is a wonderful prophecy stating the fact that all this looks bad, but it's going to lead up until the Messiah coming back. It's very interesting here. I wanted to quote Ezekiel chapter 30, but I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. Well, yeah, I'll go ahead. Ezekiel chapter 30. I have about 21 minutes left. Can I kind of explain what's going on in Libya right now? Libya is mentioned in the Bible as well. Ezekiel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. And the interesting thing about this prophecy, well, uh, it states here, yeah, um, in the commentary here it says, the third of the seven anti-Egypt oracles is the only one undated. Isn't that interesting? This is the only one that's not dated, and it contains no written basis for dating. It is comprised of four relating prophecies, each introduced by Thus Says the Lord. And each echoing motives and ideas seen elsewhere in Ezekiel's oracles. Together they announce the fall not only of Egypt, but also of her allies. Okay? And her allies are, what, Libya? Put? Um, and Libya is right next to Egypt and, and also surrounding countries. Okay. 
So in verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy or speak in the future about and, that, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Well, alas for that day, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It says uh, it's not dated, but if you understand what the day of the Lord is, it is dated. So it's talking about a time when there's great, great chaos and, and great problems. Uh, for the day is near. It doesn't say that, that it's here, that it's near. The day is near, that the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. That time hasn't come yet, but as I'm, as God is going to reveal here, when you see all these problems going on uh, in Egypt and Libya, that you know that the time is near. Verse 4, a sword shall come upon Egypt, and anguish shall be in Cush, when the slain fall in Egypt, and her wealth is carried away, and her foundations are torn. Now, verse 5, Cush, and put in Lud in all Arabia and Libya. That's the whole Arab League, basically. <laughs> and the people of the land that is in league, isn't that something, the word league there? Anyway, shall fall with them by the sword. And league here means... Uh, uh, they're they're, they're in, t- in it together, and there, there is an Arab League, folks. And then verse 6, thus says the Lord, those who support Egypt shall fall, and her proud might shall come down from Midgal to Sinim. They shall fall within her sword, declares the Lord God, and they shall be desolated in the midst of desolated countries, and their cities shall be in the midst of the cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have set fire to Egypt and all her helpers are broken. Okay, so this happened in the past. It's going to happen again in the future. All right, and guys and gals, you're you're seeing prophecy being fulfilled right before your eyes, and uh, this is going to lead to good things. Cush is Ethiopia, right? Cush is, is the area of Ethiopia, and uh, Ethiopia is around that area too. So God knows the infant beginning, folks, and all you need to do is study the Bible and see uh, what He prophesies. And you know, Psalm 83 talks about, I'm not going to turn there because of lack of, I think I have a lack of time here, but it talks, well, yeah, I can turn there. I'll read a few verses there. Psalm 83. Psalm 83. Oh, I forgot to extend this program to... <laughs> For two hours, I said I was going to have a 30-minute session, so I apologize for that. I'm going to have to do that next week. I forgot to put it for two hours. so But I will have it for next week. apologize for that. Anyway, Psalm 83, uh, verse 1. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised your heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. And, and they, they have, um, Ahmadinejad has been quoted to say something similar to that. Um, for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant or agreement. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites and Moab and Hagarites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre, Ashur, or that area of Iraq and Iran, has also joined them. They are a strong arm of the children of Lot. And it's saying here that what's going to happen, this is not going to work, that just uh, as Gideon had uh, overcome uh, the enemies of Israel, that that's going to happen as well. Israel is going to, they're going to conquer this Islamic uh, league uh, that is against them. 
ultimately. That's what that prophecy indicates. And then Ezekiel 36, I'm not going to turn there, indicates the same thing. And then, But what I want to turn to is Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and when you understand that and you compare that to Ezekiel chapter 40, it's talking about building something. A measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months or three and a half years. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. The Bible indicates that this can be two individuals, or it can be groups, two assemblies, or, or groups of people. That's another Bible study in itself. But the point I want you to focus on is that the temple has, has to be built. Okay, and we turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And I just read to you, oh, wait a minute. I didn't read uh, the rest of that, that prophecy about the king and the north king itself. I'll read it right now. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, that's the time we're living in right now, the king of the south, so you know what the king of the south is now. Is he Egypt and, well, I mean, the, the south, southern area. I don't know exactly who the king is, but I know what the southern area, the southern area of this prophecy is referring definitely to Egypt, Libya, and the countries around it. All right, so there's going to be a king, a specific king in the end time. The king of the south shall attack him through these countries, okay? But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen. So obviously the king of the north has a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of military forces here, which uh, gives credence to the fact that this obviously must be NATO or uh, European countries and, and United States and some other countries uh, involved in this. It says, But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. So that's definitely talking about 21st century armament, ladies and gentlemen. And he shall come into the countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. That's the, the Middle East, Jerusalem. And tens of thousands shall fall. So going to be a lot of people dying. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the and the main part of the Ammonites, which is Jordan today. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt, here go Egypt again, the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. So that's the reason why those prophecies indicated that uh, Egypt will lose her wealth, because the Antimessiah is going to take it over. You know, that's pretty clear. Uh, in verse 43... He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. So that's why Egypt's going to be, well, actually the poverty cycle of Egypt is starting already. And the Libyans, go Libya again, and the Cushites, which is the Ethiopians, shall follow in his train. Okay? So also, uh, he's going to take over Libya and also take over uh, Ethiopia. So but news from the east 
and north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his uh, tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, that's Jerusalem and Mount Moriah, where the temple will be located. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Now, in verse in chapter 12, verse 1, And at that time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, meaning that we will be changed into all-powerful spirit beings. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, the time of living in today, the 21st century. Then he shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase, which is a prophecy of the Internet and being able to access knowledge. Um, verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on, on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the, the stream. On that bank of the stream, and someone said to the to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years again, forty two months, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be fulfilled. In other words, uh, the holy people, a lot of them will be destroyed or, or be uh, martyrs. That's what it's indicating there. Um, it says, I heard, but I did not understand. And I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end, to the 21st century. It's not for you, Daniel. That's what he's saying. Verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. So if you're wicked, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about. You know, if you desire to, to want to learn God's truth, understand his commandments, you will. He says, none of the wicked, none of the wicked shall understand. None. So I want to point that out and underscore that. <laughs> they may understand some of it, but they're not going to understand fully the prophecies of the Bible. But those who are wise shall understand. Wise, of course, are those who keep the commandments, all of them best of their ability. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, so if it's going to be taken away, obviously there has to be a temple built for the, the burnt offering to exist. And the abomination that makes desolate is set up, if you don't understand what that is, study Maccabees okay, in, in the Apocrypha. It tells you what the abomination of desolation is. The abomination of desolation was a simple um, putting a, a, a statue or an idol in the temple of God or, or around the temple. And that's what's going to occur again. All right, and he says, From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and abomination that makes desolate set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the day. So you just told that Daniel will be resurrected again. So we we understand that all this is talking about future history or, or prophecy. Now, in Isaiah chapter 24, uh, I'm not going to be able to get done here as usual, but I'll just quote some of these scriptures next week. 
I think the next program is going to be what can we do to prepare for the Great Tribulation because it's coming, folks, <laughs> and we need to prepare for it. So that, that's going to be the title of the next program. Isaiah chapter 24, st- verse 1. says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priests. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. So this is going to affect every fabric and every person on the planet Earth. That's what he's saying. It's a very powerful prophecy. Verse 3. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. Plundered indicates stealing. For the, uh, for the Lord has spoken this word. Verse 4. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. For they have, and why? Because they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. That covenant, of course, is talking about the laws of God. The laws of God. So that's, that's the covenant that it's talking about. And and this is the reason why. Many people reason, or understand why there's curses on the earth. Well, therefore, a curse devours the earth because not just the Jews, but everyone, a lot of them are not, the majority of mankind are not keeping the laws of God. And that's the reason why we have uh, cases where uh, this young man killing and stabbing his baby. Uh, abortions. I can go on and on and on. You have a president that's, supposedly very intelligent, went to Harvard University, he can't, he doesn't understand that marriage is just between a man and a woman. You know, so that's the reason, I can go on and on, but I respect the president, but I have to respectfully and politely disagree with what he did. It's an affront to God. And and, uh, it's not going to bode well for our nation. Verse 6, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. And that's what it's going to lead to. If if um, people on this planet don't repent. And, and then Jeremiah, this leads to another scripture here, and this will probably be the last one that I quote for today. Jeremiah chapter 18. I don't hear this scripture quoted too much from ministers, but they need to start quoting this. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 7, this prophecy applies to any nation, not just the house of Israel. Jeremiah 18, because remember, Jeremiah was not only a prophet to Israel. Let's take a look here in the first chapter. Uh, Jeremiah 1, verse 9. Says, then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck down and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So, his his um, his mission involved nations. It does not it didn't just involve uh, the nation of, of Israel. And then, oh, in verse five is pretty clear here. It says uh, in verse four. Jeremiah 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So for people who think that there's not life in the womb, that's another scripture they can use and say that there is. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So he's not just a prophet to Israel. He's a prophet to the nations. Okay. So Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 7, it says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, that includes Egypt. I just read you prophecies about Egypt and Libya, right? And uh, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from his evil, turns from his evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. All right? That's a plain, direct statement from one of the greatest prophets of all time, Jeremiah. And this applies not only to this country, but to any nation that turns to God. God, whatever prophecy he has to destroy that nation, he will not allow that nation to be destroyed. So there is hope. And that's the reason why God is patiently uh, waiting for repentance, because he doesn't want to uh, execute or allow the prophecies in the book of Revelation to occur. There's a lot of horrible things that are going to happen. He doesn't want to have to do that. And it doesn't have to occur. But I don't hear too many people preaching that we collectively as a human race need to, to do everything this book says, the Bible says. All I hear is a bunch of arguments about what they think it says instead of believing what it says. I think the overall proof that proves that hardly anyone is following the Bible. I mean, there's a few people. There's always a few. But, but God is looking at collectively as a human race. The reason why is because there's curses upon the earth, and there's there's death, and, and there's violence, and, and there's abortions, and there's homosexuality, and there's I just read to you in Second Timothy chapter three verse one to five the social conditions of the 21st century. The reason why those exist is because we have broken the laws, we've broken the everlasting covenant. The beginning of my program talks about the fact that because there's no mercy and compassion hardly toward anyone on the earth these days, that the foundation of the earth has lost its course. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 83 here. Let me just read a little bit of that. Psalm 82, rather. Psalm 82, not 83. Psalm 82. And starting in verse 2, it says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? The rich ruling over the poor, that's partiality. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken because of that. So um, I will remember, hopefully, to have a, a two-hour program. And, and after I talk, then for 30 minutes, uh, people can ask questions or, or make any comments. And uh, for, please forgive me for forgetting that. And may God bless and keep you, and, and God willing, I'll be available for you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. 
and ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 